It's another edition of the John Clay Podcast with the Lexington Herald-Leader and Kentucky.com. I'm John Clay, sports columnist for the Herald-Leader and Kentucky.com. This week we're previewing the Kentucky-Vanderbilt football game, which is Saturday at 4 p.m. in Nashville uh, at Vanderbilt Stadium. The game will be can be seen on the SEC Network. We'll also have coverage on Kentucky.com. And in the print edition of the Lexington Arrow Leader, my guests this week are uh, Jennifer Smith of the Lexington Arrow Leader, who covers UK football, and Adam Sparks of the Tennessee and Nashville, who covers Vanderbilt Athletics. So let's get to it. My guest now on the podcast is Adam Sparks of the Tennessean, who covers Vanderbilt Athletics. How you doing, Adam? Hey, real good. Good to be on. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Uh, Kentucky, of course, plays Vanderbilt on Saturday at 4 o'clock in Nashville, uh, just give us a, a little summary of the of the Vanderbilt season so far and uh, um, how the Commodores feel about their season so far going into the Kentucky game. Well, it's, uh, you know, I, I guess to borrow the best cliche that comes to mind, the jury's still out uh, on, on this coaching staff, on this team, on this personnel, uh, because, you know, right now the, the team looks better overall than a year ago when they went three and nine in the in the first season under Derek Mason, but but the record's kind of still in line with what they were last year. Uh, they do have an SEC win against Missouri, which they did not have last year. Uh, the the big difference between this year is there's actually an identity. Uh, last year they were they were bad on offense and they weren't very good on defense either. This year they're bad on offense again, but they're one of the best defensive teams in the country. Certainly one of the top two or three, I'd say, in the SEC. And so that's kind of given them an identity. I, I think people, the the glass half full people, will look at that and say, okay, we are good at something. And the fact that they hired Derek Mason, a defensive coach, um, it, it lends itself to maybe he's got a few more things in line this year because he took over the defense and they're now they're now good, and so they can keep them competitive in in, in SEC games. That's that's the glass half full. The glass half empty is they're just not. Still not getting some of the wins that they would like. They are keeping them close, but a lot of people would like some more SEC wins, obviously. Yeah, I mean the the thing. I mean, looking at their stats, like you mentioned, I mean they're they're a top twenty defense nationally, but yet they're way towards the bottom offensively. And coaches talk about it all the time about the offense has to help the defense and vice versa. To me, from the outside looking in, it's pretty amazing how well Vandy's defenses play, considering they haven't gotten much help from their offense. Yeah, they've had, I think it's uh, one drive they've given up in the past three or four games the defense has where a one-touchdown drive to the opponent when the opponent started in their own territory. Basically, if if Vandy can punt the ball past the 50-yard line, uh, stats show lately that you're not going to score a touchdown on their defense, that you can't drive the field on them. That's what it's shown recently. And so that, that the frustration there comes is that the opponent's still scoring some because they're either getting turnovers from Vandy's offense or Vandy's offense is getting backed up so much that field position is getting flipped and they're they're punting the ball to uh, not even to midfield. And so, yeah, it's uh, the, the whole theme of this year is the defense is so good, if the offense would just give them two touchdowns in a game, they would win. Uh, you know, they, they should have beaten South Carolina – uh, they had about, uh, I think, five turnovers in that game. Uh, they really should have beaten Ole Miss. Some late turnovers cost them that game. They led that one in the second half. Uh, they should have beaten Florida. They lost that one 9-7. to seven. So, I mean, they should have beaten Western Kentucky. Now, if I go back to the season opener, they uh, threw two picks just in the end 
zone. So, you know, this is a team that's, uh, that's got three wins. You can make the case they should have six if they just, if their offense, instead of being ranked 120th or whatever, was ranked 100th. That, that's, uh, you know, that, that's how, how, how small the margin is for them right now. But their defense has kept them in it, and I think this will be a game that's probably low scoring because I think neither offense is clicking very well, and, and Vandy's defense, I think, will be able to control Kentucky enough to, to keep it a low-scoring game. Before we talk about the Vandy offense, give us a couple of players on the Vandy defense that Kentucky fans should be looking for on Saturday. Well, Zach Cunningham needs to be at the top of the list. Uh, if he's on another team, uh, a team with a better record, uh, he's a first-team All-SEC guy. I think he'll probably still be All-SEC. Um, he's uh, he's their leading tackler this year. He was their second-leading tackler last year as a linebacker, as a freshman last year. Um, he's one of the more active linebackers you'll see in the country. Uh, I think fourth or second or third or fourth maybe in the country in, in uh in fumble recoveries, he also forces a lot of fumbles. He's a guy that will chase a ball carrier from one sideline to the next. He has a tremendous closing speed. He's a guy that you'll notice uh, in a whole lot of plays, and you'll notice how he gets to the ball. Uh, Steven Weatherly is another one I would point out. He's a outside linebacker. They run a 3-4 this year. Derek Mason had that installed last year when he got here. And with that, he needed some big, long athletic linebackers. Cunningham and Weatherly are two of those. Weatherly is a guy that will be after Patrick Tolles quite a bit. He's a guy that uh, he's probably their best perimeter pass rusher, best guy off the edge. Uh, really athletic guy. Can also drop into coverage. He's again a guy that will you'll see in big plays. Tackles for loss, sacks, batted down passes. He, he's that type of guy. Uh, so that, That's the two I think I would, I would look at. You're going to see most of the big plays made by the linebackers. And now let's switch over to the Vanderbilt offense. So we're talking with Adam Sparks of the Tennessean who covers Vanderbilt athletics. Uh, a big question about Vandy, I guess, has been of their quarterback, uh, the quarterback play. What, what does that look like coming into the Kentucky game on Saturday? Well, uh, I think Kyle Shermer is going to start. Uh, he's certainly going to take most or, or maybe even all of the snaps. I would say more more so would be most of the snaps. They've had – you know, they, 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 they had four different starters last year, which was the most in the country. Their whole goal going into this year with a new offensive coordinator and a, a new mindset with, uh, with the head coach, Derek Mason, was that we're going to pick a quarterback in preseason and we're going to stick with him the whole way. Well, they got to midseason, and Johnny McCreary, uh, the, the starter, had thrown uh, as, as many interceptions as anybody in the SEC, about the most in the country. And so they finally had to cut ties with him as the full-time starter and they pulled a red shirt off of Kyle Shermer, true freshman. Um, the son of Pat Shermer used to be the, the Cleveland Browns head coach, now the, now the uh, offensive coordinator for the Eagles. Uh, Kyle Shermer was uh, one of their best, if not the, the best recruit they had this past year. Uh, pretty lively arm, but just hasn't played a lot. Has started two games, hasn't, hasn't played the full game either time. The way they've been doing it, and I think they'll probably do it this time, is that they'll go with Shermer more and more to run the regular offense. They'll bring in Johnny McCrary as more of a dual-threat type guy to run some zone read stuff, maybe even run their two-minute offense. That's where he has been somewhat effective, especially early in the year. But Shermer is what you're going to see most. Uh, people have pretty much looked at Johnny McCrary and said, he's even though he's just a sophomore, he's not going to be the starter long-term. He's not going to be the starter next year. So just have the freshman go in there, 
work through some of the kinks of, of learning the college game, and, and he'll be the starter next year. So, yeah, I think you're going to see Kyle Shermer for all of the game, at least most of the game, but I would expect him to start. He was out last week kind of uh, nursing uh, the effects of a concussion, but he's full go this week. And I know Benny's got a pretty decent running back in Webb. What, what kind of year has he had? Yeah, uh, Ralph Webb is he's less than 100 yards from their sophomore rushing record. He, he broke their freshman rushing record last year with 907 yards. He's on pace to get over 1,000 this year. He's, you know, he's had a few big plays lately. He broke a 74-yarder against Florida, but that's not really his forte. His, his forte is just to grind out yards. He is a very, very hard runner. He's not an imposing guy. He's about 5'10", 215 maybe. Uh, not a really big guy, but he runs with effort every play. Um, he's a guy that will get a lot of carries. Uh, they'll try to use him to establish the run. Uh, if they can keep this one close or maybe get a small lead, they'd like to grind it out with him. Uh, but you're going to see some other running backs, especially in this game. Darius Sims is their big play guy. They've underused him, especially in games where they've gotten down big early. They haven't been go- been able to go to him as much. Darius Sims and also Josh Crawford, uh, true freshman, they've used him a little bit more. I would expect in this game especially, with their issues in passing the last two games, they're going to try to throw it to the running backs probably as much or even more than their wide receivers. So Ralph Webb, Darius Sims, Josh Crawford, I think are going to, they're going to target them a lot in the passing game. I know, uh, I would imagine anyway, that following uh, James Franklin, was well, those are some pretty big shoes to fill. I mean, he had success at Vandy that uh, no coach at Vandy had had in a long time. What, what, do, what do people down there, what do the fans feel about Derek Mason right now in his second year? Well, it's uh, you, you kind of have the fan base split. Uh, on one side, it's, um, you know, as I mentioned before, he took over defensive play calling duties this year, and that's what he made his name as as a defensive coordinator at Stanford. That's how he got this job. On one side of the fan base looks at it and says, hey, he took over the defense and he did what he was hired to do. He made the defense an elite an elite unit. On the other side, the probably the other half of the fan base says, well, the head coach's job is not to make one side of the ball really good. The head coach's job is to make the team good. And right now, their their record is still around what it was last year. I think they're going to win more than three games, which is what they did last year. But obviously, this game, the Kentucky game, is going to probably need to be one of those wins. This one or Texas A&M next week. So I'd say the fan base again is kind of waiting to see if he can get another SEC win. I think people will be okay moving forward with him. He, he's going to be the head coach next year, regardless of what happens in these past in these last three weeks. But uh, you know, the fan base wants more wins and not just really good on one side of the ball. It's it's a it's a tenuous situation because he's given his offense over to his coordinator, Andy Ludwig, and said he's just gonna handle that side of the ball. And on one side that's smart, on the other side some people look at it as, as him not taking full responsibility for it. I think the way he looks at it as uh, I hired a guy to run the offense. He's the the offensive expert. I'm going to let him work with it. I think their biggest issue right now is just a personnel. That they just don't have the offensive playmakers to to compete in this league right now the way they need to. And I think the Florida game got a lot of people's attention. I mean, Vandy led that game for for seemed like the entire game. And I know 
when I was at Georgia covering Kentucky, Georgia, you know, they were showing during timeout stuff uh, the, up on the video board from Vandy, Florida. Of course, the Georgia fans were rooting big time for Vandy because they don't like Florida. What about as far as Vandy goes, the team? Did they? I know it had to be a disappointing loss, but it did did it give them confidence going forward? That that I mean they played, and you could make a case that they outplayed the team that's now the SEC East champ. Yeah, uh, you know, it did, but I think the, the, the fact that it's the same theme that's been all year, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's surprising that they held Florida to nine points. Just like it didn't surprise them that they, you know, Missouri's a bad offense, but they still held Missouri to three points. Uh, Western Kentucky's uh, top ten offense this year, they held them to 14. Um, you know, they held Ole Miss for most of that game, held them in the 20s. Uh, Houston is, you know, scored 50 on everybody, and uh, and they held them to their lowest yardage of the year. It's been the same thing every week, whether it's the number 11 team in the country in Florida or it's a really good offensive mid-major. It's been the same every week. The You know, Vandy's got this long line of holding opponents to their lowest yards or their lowest points or both of the season, and they're still losing the games. And that's simply because the offense is just not giving them anything. So I don't think it was a big surprise to them of how they played there. I think they kind of saw it going the way it did. I think the stat was uh, Florida had not won a game scoring single digits like that since, like, the early 60s. And that kind of tells you where Vanderbilt is, is that they have to beat people 10 to 6, 10 to 7, 12 to 10, those types of things. And it just really hasn't mattered. They've matched up defensively with anybody that they played on their schedule. They just can't get offense against anybody. So, And, and I, again, I think that's, that'll be the same way with this one. It's uh, it's just the fact that Vandy can score enough to, to help out his defense. Yeah, I think you're right. I think we're at it for like another 10-7 or maybe 6-3, something like that. Who knows on Saturday. Yeah, I see, I, see a, I see a baseball score coming in this yeah. one. It could be five to two or something like that. Right, Who knows? Right. Listen, Ab, I appreciate. It. Tell our listeners on the podcast how they can uh, check out your work, uh, both online and uh, on Twitter, leading up to the game Saturday, and, yeah. and then your post game coverage. Yeah, on their uh, uh, online at Tennessean dot com, uh, and uh, we'll have obviously a lot of stories around the game. We'll also have a, a live blog during the game on Tennessean dot com, and then uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Adam Sparks. Well, that's great. Appreciate it. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I look forward to seeing you on Saturday. All right. Good deal. Okay. Back on the podcast with my regular guest on these football podcasts, Jennifer Smith, the UK football beat writer for the Herald Leader and Kentucky.com. How's it going today, Jen? It's going. Thanks, John. Yeah, it's going. Uh, we're taping this uh, a day later than we normally do. We're taping it on uh, Thursday morning for circumstances beyond, way beyond our control. But anyway, uh, at this date, the, of course, the big, the big question all week. And at this date, Jim, where, where do you think the quarterback situation stands? I know Shannon Dawson said early in the week he's got a plan. They got a plan. Of course, he wouldn't tell us what that plan was. What, what's the plan, Jen? You know, if you read between the lines and what Drew Barker didn't say and what Patrick Toll said, the plan to me is that everything stays the same except there's a much shorter leash on Tolls and what he's allowed to do. I think that if they really struggle as an offense, if they start to look like what they did at Georgia, that that, that Barker will be in there before the you know the last series or two of the game. I think that they'll find a way to use him more. Um, I think that there might be some more wildcats sprinkled in there, 
from time to time. I, I think they're going to you know, pull all the tricks out of their bag and, and try to make make it a, an effective offense in some way, shape, or form. And I think Tolls is still their quarterback. I mean, if you go back and sort of listen to what Shannon Dawson said, you know, he, he made the comment that Tolls already won the position. I mean, there were a couple little things there that, that sort of clued you in that not much was going to change, but they decided to sort of look at their options, and they're still going with their main option. So, you know, I would be shocked if Drew Barker was the starter, you know, for the first snap. Yeah, me too. And the fact that Vandy's got a top 20 defense to me figures that into that on the road. Do you really want to throw a redshirt freshman making his first collegiate start against that type of defense on the road? What, what I mean, Tolls is like the, you know, he's the hot topic. He's the big controversy among Kentucky fans. How much do you think, I mean, what do you think? What, how much do you think uh, Kentucky's offensive problems go back to Patrick's play? You know, I, I was really, I was a huge sort of, people are making this, you know, they're being too difficult on Patrick, that it's not all Patrick's fault. You know, I was very much a, a Tolls apologist, if you will, kind of going into the Georgia game. And then in the middle of the Georgia game, I started to sort of, and maybe it's just because I monitor the Twitter spiels and the, you know, what people are saying, but I found myself thinking, like, maybe Tolls isn't the guy for the job. Like, maybe he's really... You know, maybe they need to just make change for change's sake. Maybe a different guy will spark the offense in a different way. But when I went back and watched the Georgia game again without sort of the Twitter filter and the noise in the background and, and sort of watching the game live, I went back and watched it twice and started sort of charting plays and looking at breakdowns on the offensive line, looking at dropped passes. You know, there are a lot of things that are sort of beyond Tolz's control. And maybe, you know, I think he's sort of under a microscope and he's magnified, but I'm not sure that if you put, you know, Tim Couch behind that line last week, that, that he would have thrown for a, a really good percentage. You know, I, I think that there were a lot of struggles in that game. I think that there's some truth to what Stoops said. You can sort of see in the body language from the beginning of the game that they weren't real sure that they really could win that game. Uh, you know, when you, when you, you see it through that filter and, and you kind of hear the coach's voices in your head, you, you sort of pick out things that, that might sort of lend themselves to that. But but I, I really, you know, I, I went from sort of thinking maybe Patrick isn't the guy to going back and watching it again sort of objectively and thinking, you know, it's not like the coaches are going to – it's not like the coaches are going to, you know, keep the best quarterback out of the game. It's not in their best interest. It's not in the team's best interest. And, you know, I, I think that, that Tolv at least needs to, to get a chance to get out of his funk. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I think – I'm like you. I've been kind of a tolls apologist. I do think that what Stoops said, you know, when we asked him about if Drew Barker play, we asked him Monday if Drew Barker plays, what does he bring to the table? And he said he makes quick decisions. And I think that's what they're they need, what they're looking for from tolls. He needs to make quicker decisions. And like you, I went back and watched parts of the game, and he he just he seemed unsure, a little tentative. And then he kind of panics in the pocket when he gets some pressure. Which you know sometimes I can't blame him on that because the Georgia, uh, as Stoop said after Stoop said on Monday, he thought that was the offensive line's worst game of the year. So, but I do think one of their problems is that they haven't had Boom for the last Boom Williams, probably their best offensive player, you could say pretty much for the last two games. He got hurt early in the Tennessee game. Well, what's Boom's situation for Saturday, and what kind of difference having him back do you think will make? You know, I thought it was really telling on – it wasn't this week's SEC teleconference, but last week's SEC teleconference. And Stoops very honestly said that UK doesn't have a lot of home run hitters. They don't have a lot of guys that can sort of move the scoreboard. And Boom is one of their very few guys that they feel like that is – like he's a guy that, 
that opposing defenses really have to account for. They really have to to look at him and know where he is at all times because he does have the capability to break a big play, to be a, a home run type guy. And I think that if, when Kentucky's offense becomes one dimensional, I think it's very easy to guard them if you're a decent, you know, defense. I, I think that we've seen that many times. You know, honestly, we saw that against Eastern Kentucky. We saw that, you know, without Boom Williams, that they, they don't have a really viable running attack, at least not a consistent running attack. And, and I think it's very easy to sort of, you know, defend Kentucky when there aren't a lot of options. Right. And to me, the one thing that Boom does that the other guys can't do, or at least he's better at doing it, if there's nothing there, if he, if, you know, if there's a little penetration or some of those runs, when you go back and look at him, it wasn't really like he went through big holes. Some of them he did. I uh, think back to the very first play of the year. But some of those plays, he he turned a, what looked like it was going to be no gain where he got stacked up the line. He bounced outside and turned it into a 10 or 15 yard gain. And I think that's I think they've missed that the, without him being in there. Yeah, I mean, they have a lot of. I mean, let's not let's. I mean, let's be frank. They have a lot of breakdowns on that offensive line, especially against these last three teams that they played. And yeah. Boom is one of those guys that can that can you know sometimes he gets back behind the line of scrimmage. That happened a few times against Mississippi State, but he also is a guy who can sort of outrun the guys on the edge. And I'm not sure Kentucky's had one of those guys from you know kind of the Randall Cobb era, a guy who can who can get to the edge and and make you know make some get some serious yardage out of what looks like a busted play. Right, so, I mean, right. I think, you know, and actually yesterday on the uh, SEC teleconference, you know, uh, Derek Mason, the, the Vanderbilt coach, was asked the things about Kentucky's offense that, that concern him. And the first thing he said was Patrick Tolles. You know, he clearly doesn't know there's a quarterback competition going on in town. And the second person he said was, was Blue Williams, that he's a shifty back. He makes plays with his feet. He's smart. He sees holes before the holes develop. And you can sort of, you know, he basically is sort of a guiding point on Kentucky's offense, and that you know he's a guy that they really have to account for. What 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 do you what do you feel? I'm talking with Jennifer Smith of the Herald Leader and Kentucky.com. What what do you think? I mean, there's a lot of talk about the mindset of this team. You know, last week there was all the talk about the players meeting, players only meeting, and that kind of stuff, and. You know, you hear from the fans and so forth about what, you know, the mindset of the team. I, I ran into a former U.K. player of recent vintage. Uh, uh, I won't say his name, but he, he said he just thinks that they're mentally weak, that when they come up against adversity, they're, they're not strong-willed enough to, to fight through the adversity. Now, he said he thinks some of that's because they're young, uh, but he, he questions the mental makeup of uh, of the team overall. But what what's your take on that? What do, what do you I mean, is there is there really finger pointing going on with this team, or or is it just a three game losing streak? So everybody's like, well, what's you know, there's got to be something going on in the locker room. You know, I think that they've played some really good teams, and Kentucky doesn't have a ton of depth. And we go back to that. I mean, we saw that last year in a six game losing streak where they they hit a part of the schedule where they're, you know, if you look at it objectively, they shouldn't be winning those games. And I think that when you hit that part of the schedule toward the end of the season, when a lot of people are dinged up, when guys like Jason Hatcher are unavailable, when guys like Boom Williams are unavailable, when guys like Kicker Austin McGinnis is unavailable, or at least partially only only partially available, I think that you see a team that's still struggling with some depth issues from the you know the coaching staff before it, maybe not recruiting up to speed. You know, you deal with you know some defections, you deal with some attrition, you deal with lots of things in. And I think they just hit some really good teams. I mean, those teams were down. There's a lot of discussion about, you know, you, you need to beat, 
Georgia when it's when it's struggling offensively, but Georgia's still really good defensively. They still have four of the best defensive linemen, you know, in in the league. It, it really gave some trouble to Kentucky's offensive line. So I think that the troubles are sort of overblown. I do think that when you when you've been terrible for three straight games, or at least most of the last three straight games, I think it can get in your head. But I think that the coaches need to find a way to make them a little bit mentally tougher and a little bit you know, have a little bit more intestinal fortitude and point out that there there are three winnable games coming up. These are not these are not world beater teams that they're getting ready to face. And, you know, I think if coaches can sort of point that out, that you know, they have a legitimate chance to, to win two of the next three. Right. Now our our colleague there at the earlier Mark Story, he he said he wrote earlier this week that this Vanderbilt game is the most important game in Mark Stoops tenure. Of course Stoops is in his third year. Uh, Vandy's really good defensively. They're terrible offensively. Kentucky's obviously struggled offensively. I mean, are we looking at a 3-0 game? And uh, how, how important do you think this game is? You know, it's funny. I was talking about the, the score potential on this game uh, last night with some friends, and I said this is one of those games where I think that somebody could win 6-3, to three, but also it could be one of those games where it's like 36-35 to 35 and nobody has any idea how that happens. You know, I mean, both of these teams are sort of young and unpredictable and, you know, prone to making mistakes, which could lead to, to touchdowns. They're both, you know, both defenses have the potential to maybe to score some points. I mean, there's lots of funny stuff that could happen in this game. And, you know, it's it's just one of it's one of those games where it could be really interesting. I'm not sure that, you know, Vandy has had very many high-scoring games this season. They certainly haven't in the last few games. And, you know, I, I think that, I think it should be sort of fun in that way. But going back to what Mark Story wrote, I, you know, I, I struggle to pin one game as the most important game in, the, in, you know, the history of this coach. But I do think that it will be important to see if the players go in with the right mentality, if he's able to get them all sort of back thinking. He, you know, I think Josh Forrest said it yesterday that Stoops pulled them in the meeting on Monday and sort of showed them clips of times when they were really good this year and said, where is that swagger? Let's get that swagger back. I want to see the swagger on the practice field, et cetera. So I think if he can convince them to do that, I think it will be the most important thing in his coaching career because that means they'll probably go to a bowl game and that will you know, continue his, his tenure here you know, probably farther than the next three or four years. So in that way it is. But he also has to make a lot of really hard decisions in this game, probably. I mean, if Toll is struggling, when do you put Barker in? If the defense is struggling, like, you know, do you take some gambles and, and maybe get burned on some screen passes? I mean, there are all sorts of coaching decisions that, you know, the fourth, the fourth and two in the start of the second half against Georgia that he's beating himself up over. You know, there are a lot of decisions that he might have to make in this game that people will point to down the road and, and maybe judge him by. So I think it'll be sort of fun in that way. Yeah, I'll go back to a Calipari line. It's it's a big game if Kentucky wins. If they lose, it wasn't a big game. That's what that's what that's Cal's line. Whenever you ask him about a big game, and I think if they do win, it's a big game because it gives them five, and they just need one more. If they lose, I think they've still got an opportunity. I mean, they they should beat Charlotte. That gives them five, and then they would go into that Louisville game, which I think will you know shapes up to be a you know it could whoever's favored in that game is not going to be favored by much. Kentucky does have them at home. I'm not going to say Kentucky's going to win that game but they still have their chances. But going back to what you were just talking about, the swagger and so forth, we've heard a lot of talk. We heard a lot of talk about it yesterday when we were doing the interviews with the with the defense and so forth about having fun and getting back to having 
having fun. And I know you were asking the coaches, you know, how do you do that? How the players, how do you do that? How much, how much do you think it is that they've just, they've been playing tight. They're pressing, they're trying too hard. And how do you get them to relax and have fun? I don't know. That's why Stoops is making millions of dollars and I am not. I mean, I really. <laughs> millions of dollars. <laughs> you know, I, I think you just sort of go back to the things that they like about football. And, you know, I think right. that one of the ways they've done it and maybe, if there are serious injuries going in or out of the Vanderbilt game, maybe that'll be pointed to as a mistake too, but they've been playing a lot of good on good this week. They've been playing first team offense against first team defense. And, you know, when you're frustrated with one or the other side of the ball, it's really easy to take it on that other side when, when you're going straight up against them all week. And I think that that sort of, you know, when you're not going through the monotony of it through the drills over and over again, that, you know, when you're not harping on fundamentals for 45 minutes and, you know, I, I mean, you're you're getting to just line up and play some football. I think that gets guys' motors running, and and maybe that's that's sort of what they need to play good on good for a while and and not back off at this time of year like they do. You know, you mentioned something a minute ago about the the Louisville game. You know, the thing that really struck me after that game last year was Louisville isn't SEC. I mean, I you know, I'm not a I'm not a rah rah SEC guy or rah rah you know. UK person necessarily, but you know you could see that the talent level was on par with UK last year when the two teams played, and I think it very much is this year. There's not another Mississippi State on their schedule. There's not another Georgia on their schedule. I mean, they have three teams that they should be on par with at least athletically. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah. Last year, going for Devontae Parker, I think Kentucky could have. He to me, he was the elite guy who separated the two teams last year, exactly. and obviously Kyle Bowen came in and did a great job. For Louisville off the bench, but yeah, no, no, I think you know, and I think you're right. I mean, they're they're hitting a stretch now where they got three teams of comparable talent. Well, they should be better than Charlotte in three winnable games. So we'll just see how you know how they react when they go uh, when they go Saturday to Nashville and Music City, and we will be there, uh, Jen and myself. So be sure and follow us on Kentucky.com and the Lexington Herald Leader. And how can they follow you on Twitter, Jen? At Jen Herald Leader. That's right, and we look for. I'll look forward to seeing you there on Saturday uh, afternoon. It's a four o'clock start. It's an SEC network game, right? It is. That should be okay. uh, quite amusing. Yeah, the SEC network's <laughs> like the official network of Kentucky football. I think they've done it like the tenth time. Of course, well, they've only played. This will be the tenth game, but it seems like every game's on SEC network. But anyway, but yeah, and I'll have a live blog uh, on Kentucky.com and on my blog, John Clay sidelines during the game. So. Uh, be sure and check that out. Thanks as always, Jen. Sure, John. Okay, that's another edition of the podcast for this week. I want to thank my guests, Jennifer Smith of the Herald Leader and Adam Sparks of the Tennessean. Uh, as always, you can check out coverage uh, leading up to the Kentucky Vanderbilt game in both the print edition of the Lexington Herald Leader and online on Kentucky.com. You can also uh, check out this podcast on SoundCloud. You can subscribe to it on iTunes, and we will be back next week. Thanks again. Thanks, as always, for listening.